Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Once again, I want to thank you for taking time to tune in uh, to our program. And uh, we just are so deeply grateful to you, our viewers and our partners. who uh, we, we, we thank the Lord for you and your faithfulness to us to help to take this gospel of the kingdom around the world. We know we're saying some things that are cutting edge. We're, trying, we're, we're really not trying to create any kind of a um, fight with anyone else. We, we believe that people who teach things different than us are, are Christians. They are, uh, you know, just because we differ somewhat in our theologies don't mean we're not believers and uh, uh, that we don't love Jesus. Uh, it's simply we are offering to you an alternative view to a lot of the scary end-of-the-world stuff that has been taught uh, I did not know uh, growing up in classical Pentecost that there was an even an alternative view to much of the dispensational eschatology. I began to get on a quest for myself and read scriptures that I didn't think fit and could not get answers for. And the more I dug, uh, the more I began to discover. And the more I dug, the more people tried to discourage me from digging. They tried to discourage me from finding uh, you know, a truth because so what happens is nobody likes to be challenged. I get that. But I'm going to come back in the Word of God, and for the next several segments, we're going to deal with some things that may seem to be very controversial. So all I ask you to do is just consider the possibilities, eat the grapes, spit out the seeds. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've dealt with chapter 10 of the book of Revelation. I'm not going to go back and read that, because I want to move into the 11th chapter, if possible, uh, today uh, of the book of Revelation. But uh, in the 11th chapter, and, uh, we, uh, no, I'm sorry, in the 10th chapter, we started talking about there was a mighty angel that came down from heaven and he had a rainbow on his head and he puts one foot on the land and one foot on the sea and declares with a loud voice that no more time would intervene that there should be any more waiting or delay and that in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound the mystery of God will be finished uh, which he hath declared to his servants the prophets and that we read to you in the book of Luke how that all things that were spoken by the prophets would be fulfilled during this period of time. The mystery of God would be finished. Now, what we submit to you and did in the last two segments is that this mighty angel is none other than Michael the archangel. We talked about the rainbow upon his head. We talked about how uh, Michael the archangel is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we, we identified that with Malachi uh, chapter 3. Also the fact that the word Michael itself means the prince of the angels. So this is literally the prince of the angels. Jesus of course being the prince uh, uh, of the angels or the ruler of the angels. Uh, he's the mighty messenger. He comes with the sound of a lion's roar. I think that could be, uh, and also with the sound of thunder cracking, that to me could be almost uh, like the same verbiage of First Thessalonians 4. The Lord descends with a shout and with the voice of the archangel. We will get into that a little bit more as we go. But I wanted to give you some scriptures. You know, when I begin to first look at some of these things, uh, I, I really began to look at some scriptures that really made me think about uh, the imminence or the time slot in which we're told uh, the coming of the Lord would be. Now, let me just give you some, some scriptures that I believe will help you understand uh, what, at least, I'm a, let me just say it like this. I'm, I'm going to be like a news reporter. I'm going to report, you decide. I'll give you my opinion, but you have to decide for yourself. But in Matthew chapter 16, in verse number 27 and 28 for your notes, it said, For the Son of Man 
is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus said that in Matthew 16, verse 27 and 28. He told his contemporaries of that day, without stretching this, without putting it in another time slot, Jesus says to people alive and well under the sound of his voice in context in that time slot, he said, there are some of you that are standing right here that will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, I used to read that and I'd go ask people, well, what does that mean? And they say, well, you know, Jesus thought that, uh, that that would occur in his generation. Well, let me tell you something. If Jesus was deceived, we're in real trouble. Jesus said some of his contemporaries would be alive and would be alive to see him coming with his mighty angels to reward every man and to repay them according to their deeds. That's not my opinion. That's Matthew 16, verse 20, 27 and 28. Matthew chapter 24, verse 34, right on the heels of Jesus saying there's going to be wars, rumors of wars. Uh, he's going to send forth his angels with a great sounding of the trumpet, and they're going to gather together his elect from the four winds of the earth. And that, uh, uh, you know, there would be a tribulation such as was not since the world began or would be again. Then in verse 34, he sets a time text again, and he says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, I've seen all kinds of religious uh, maneuvers and uh, calisthenics. I've heard, I've heard others say that this is one of the most embarrassing scriptures in the world uh, because, uh, or in the scripture because Jesus clearly missed it. No, Jesus did not miss it. And people say, no, this, this means the, the, the race of people that were uh, alive during this period of time would see, would be alive to see uh, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Uh, he said, this generation will not pass away. If you, in context, folks, go back to the 23rd chapter of Matthew, because it's in the same context of Jesus having said to these uh, scribes and Pharisees, woe to you. He's prophesying the woes that are coming to pass now in the book of Revelation. And he said to them that upon this generation will come the blood of all of the martyrs upon this generation. The word generation is the exact same word that's used here in Matthew 24 when he says this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now that was somewhere around 30 AD and in 70 AD it occurred just like Jesus said within 40 years. Now I know that what most people have done with this or what some Bible prophecy teachers only for the last couple hundred years have taught because uh, a lot of that stuff is all brand new but they teach since Israel became a nation in 1948 that one generation would pass and Jesus would return. And that's why we had a whole lot of stuff and a whole lot of hype in 1988 saying it's got to happen in 1988 because it's 40 years from 1948 until 1988 when Israel became a nation. So it had to be within a generation. And then it didn't happen in 1998 and people began to change their dates. And they said, no, no, we're living on borrowed time. It'll be 1998. And then they stretched it to the year 2000 because of 
generation was then 50 years. And then, uh, you know, then it's 2,000 years. That's 60. And then, you know, and then, uh, you know, 2008. And it's almost, listen, folks, it's almost 70 years. And if you go back and read the books of those who have declared that it would happen within that generation, they have changed their dates over and over and over again to fit their prophetic scheme of interpretation. But I submit to you that Jesus was not talking about 1948. He was talking about the generation alive and well right then, that upon them would come the judgments. You know, at some point, listen, and the reason, one of the reasons I'm putting this out, and and I say this with humility, but one of the reasons I'm putting this out is so that at some point, even maybe when I'm gone, that, uh, you know, somebody's going to look back somewhere and say, hey, you know what? A hundred years have passed. These dates are not panning out. There must be another view to this or another alternative. To me, this is extremely good news to think that we may not have a whole bunch of catastrophe that's coming in the future. And you say, well, there's a lot of stuff going on in the Middle East right now, Brother House. And how do you explain that? Well, there's been stuff going on in the Middle East now for hundreds and thousands of years. And I'm not saying that there's not some very real problems over there. And I'm not saying that God does not want to do some work or revival in the Middle East. I'm simply saying that he broke down that middle wall or partition 2,000 years ago and and made no difference between between Jew or Gentile, but we keep on building that middle wall of partition back up and creating, I believe, some of the problems that we are creating uh, because of our theology and our eschatology. And so I'm just saying that at some point, somebody is going to adjust how they see some of this stuff. And you say, well, Brother House, it does seem to me like things are, 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 are bad out there, to which I reply, Actually, we got 24-7 news, and we think it's worse, but actually I got to look at a few weeks ago at statistics where there are people living longer than they've ever lived before. I came up out of the tunnel in the Atlanta, Georgia airport the other day, and there's a big sign there that says, when this airport was built, the life expectancy of a male was 57 years old. Today it's 75. And I thought, well, you know what? That's a great change because now our longevity is longer. We no longer have uh, disease much like whoop and cough, and we don't have uh, uh, you know diseases like polio. It's almost been eradicated. All over the earth there's changes. And yes, there's war places, but there's actually statistically less war than there's ever been. There's less earthquakes than there's ever been. There is a greater revival and move of God than there's ever been. What happens is we are, uh, we are, our worldview is slanted by how we view eschatology. This is not my opinion. This is what Jesus said. He said all of this would occur within that generation. He said this generation will not pass until all these things take place. Now those are just two scriptures. Let me read you some more. Romans the 13th chapter, verse number 12 says, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Romans 16 verse 20 uh, says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's not way out in a distant future. That was relevant to the people they were writing it to. And then it goes on to say in, in uh, ver- uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29 and 31, it says, The time is short. This world in its present form is fading away. Paul said that to his contemporaries. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, talks about these things happen to them as examples and are written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Paul was saying to the Corinthians, he said, everything that happened to the children of Israel 
in their 40-year wilderness journey was an example for them living in the closing days of the age of the Old Covenant that Paul was talking about in that 40-year transition, again, is a perfect picture of the 40-year wilderness journey uh, from Egypt into the Promised Land. I mean, under Moses, they were delivered by the blood of a lamb. But in the New Covenant, under Jesus, He's the real Lamb of God. Under the Old Covenant, they were baptized into the sea. In the New Covenant, were baptized into Christ. In the Old Covenant, they were baptized into the cloud exactly 40 days or I'm sorry, exactly 50 days after they left Egypt and God gave the law on Mount Sinai and 3,000 people dropped dead. In the new covenant, 50 days exactly after Jesus is crucified, another cloud comes down on another mountain. This time, God doesn't give them rules on rocks or the law. This time He gives them the Holy Spirit and 3,000 people are added to the church. It's exactly the same time slot as it was under that Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, they had manna that came down. And in the New Covenant, Jesus gets a hold of that and said, Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead, but I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. Under the Old Covenant, uh, they had serpents that came among them, and God told Moses, take a serpent, put it on a pole, and then you will lift it up, and then uh, if the people look, they'll live. In the New Covenant, Jesus quotes that very scripture. He said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. This spake he concerning what death he would die. They came later and said, when you see a priest bearing the ark, step into the river Jordan, you're going to know that it's time to cross over into your promised land. In the new covenant, John the Baptist was the priest. Jesus was the ark. John the Baptist carried Jesus down into the river Jordan, probably the exact same spot that they crossed over when they entered into Jericho. You say, well, why do you think that, Brother House? Because there was a pile of stones laying there. And John looks up and says, repent to them. In other words, he's telling them, change your mind. Because if you can change your mind, if you can repent, the kingdom's at hand. In other words, he's saying to them, there's a real paradigm shift going on here. We are moving from an old covenant law, and we are coming into a, a kingdom form of government. One form of government's passing off of the scene. The book of Corinthians in the Message Bible calls it the government of, affirm uh, the government of condemnation was fading, and the government of affirmation was coming on the scene. The government of the law was passing, but the government of the Holy Spirit was coming on the scene. Uh, John baptized you with water, but Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And so they were crossing over the Jordan. Jesus walks down to the Jordan. John the Baptist is the priest. He is the son of Zechariah, and he's carrying the real ark, Jesus, into the river Jordan. And he looks up and says, God's able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. I submit to you that that pile of stones that, 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 that uh, John the Baptist pointed at was the same pile of stones that's in Joshua chapter 2 and chapter 3 when they crossed the Jordan to God said to them, take these stones out of the middle of the river and carry them to the other side of the bank and pile them up. Because one day your children are going to ask you, what does this pile of rocks mean? I submit to you that this is the one day where the children of Israel were asking him, what does this pile of stones mean? And he said, God's able to raise up with these stones children to Abraham. And he said, now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. I submit to you that he was telling them, it's time, ladies and gentlemen, to cross over. We should have crossed over. Here's what is so passionate to me about this. Not just to be eschatological, but if we do not understand 
that the old covenant system has faded off of the scene. Here we are 2,000 years into the new covenant when a little book should have been wide open. We are still trying to drag people back to an old covenant mentality. But I submit to you, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. But not one jot or one tittle of the law will pass until heaven and earth pass away. And I shared with you in the last segment how that to the mind of the Jewish believer, and I read it to you from Josephus in the last segment, how they believed that their temple was heaven and earth and sea. And so when he's saying, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, it's because a new temple came on the scene. When he said heaven and earth passed in Matthew chapter 5, he wasn't talking about the natural elements of heaven and earth. He was talking about this old system and this old temple had been completely and totally fulfilled. Jesus Christ was the end of the law to everyone who believes. If we don't see that, we keep on dredging up and dragging the parts of the law that fit our culture and calling that the gospel. But this 40-year period that Jesus said would not pass until everything was fulfilled uh, had occurred from 30 A.D. to 70 A.D. And when Paul writes the Corinthians and and he says to them, everything that happened to them under Moses happened to them as examples for us upon whom the end of the world or the end of the age had come or the end of the ages had come. He was not talking to us. He was talking to that people saying, look, folks, it is time that we come out. It's time we cross over. Uh, It's interesting as well that in the 11th chapter, we're already getting ready to get over into the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation. But he says that these two witnesses lie dead in the street of the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Our Lord was not crucified literally in Sodom nor in Egypt. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. But the Spirit makes a direct connection between where our Lord was crucified and said it is the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. Egypt was the place where they came out of under Moses, But this time he's not dealing with them coming out of a physical Egypt. He's talking about them coming out of the bondage of the slavery of an old covenant system. He also connects that to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus himself would grab that thought in the scriptures that he would say, it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you in the day uh, day of judgment. Because if they had seen the things you saw, they would have repented long ago. And so he identifies all of that with them. We should have come out a long time ago is what I'm trying to say. And what I'm trying to say is that all of these things happened to them as an example to help them make the transition out of an old covenant and into a new covenant. Uh, Now let me go on in 1 Timothy uh, chapter number 6 verse uh, 14. He said, keep this commandment without spot or blame until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he tells Timothy to keep this commandment of the Lord without spot or blame until the appearing of the Lord. So the appearing of the Lord had to be something imminent in the book of Timothy. Uh, He goes on in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37. He says, in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And he, he wrote that in about 66 or 67 AD. He said, in a very little while, he that will come will come and will not tarry. And then we see... Uh, James chapter 5, verse 7 says, Be patient until the Lord's coming. James is writing to his contemporaries and said, Be patient until the Lord's coming. James 5, 8 said, The Lord's coming is near. 
James 5 verse 9 said, the judge is standing at the door. He was saying that 2,000 years ago. This, folks, is not my opinion. At least consider the possibilities that if Jesus said he was coming within that generation, that there in fact had to be some kind of a coming of the Lord. I submit to you that he came in judgment upon apostate Israel. He came in clouds because cloud comings all through the scriptures were dealing with how the Lord would come upon uh, 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 nations when he would come and make the clouds his chariots and the wind would ride upon the wings of the wind and that he would come. I mean, it's all through the scripture where there are cloud comings of the Lord when he would come in judgment upon an apostate people or a rebellious nation. So I'm submitting to you that if all of these scriptures continue to point to this, then we've got to at least consider the possibility that there had to be some kind of a coming of the Lord that occurred in 70 AD. Now let me say to you, because I believe in a synthesis and I believe that his coming is, is multi-layered, that he is he which was, he which is, and he which is to come, that because I'm saying he came in 70 AD does not mean I'm not saying he's not still coming. I mean, there are multiple ways to look at this. He certainly shows up in our service. He appears in his saints. He comes to his temple. Uh, he, I mean, you know, in Hebrews 12, it talks about seeing then we are encompassed with a great cloud of witnesses. And Isaiah, he talks about who are these that fly as the clouds. I mean, we could talk about cloud comings even as far as him coming in us because we are not clouds without water. We're not blown about with every wind. We are clouds that do have water that hold a hallelujah, a present real Jesus who is coming in clouds. And, and we don't even rule out the possibility that he may appear physically. What we're simply saying is he appeared all through the scripture. He appeared to uh, Paul on the road to Emmaus. Uh, he knocks him to the ground. He appears to uh, him in a vision. He appears to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. I mean, there are places throughout the scripture where Jesus appears in many and multiple ways. But this coming that most people are talking about, his perusia or his coming in judgment, I submit to you, had to occur within this time slot because there's just too much scripture that seems to indicate that. James said, listen, the judge is standing at the door. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7 and says the end of all things is drawn near. I mean, Peter said that. First uh, John 2, verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. He, don't, he said, we didn't think it is. We don't assume it is. We don't, we're not making uh, educated guests that it is uh, the last hour. I'm telling you, when the angel put his foot on the land and the sea and declares no more time will intervene, he was exactly correct. And that was coming to a close. An old covenant age was closing and a new covenant age was about to be birthed. What do you say, Brother House? I'm trying to tell you that our last days are not in our future. They are in our past. We must lose our last day mentality and get a new day mentality because I believe the kingdom of God is still advancing because it's like leaven. It will continue to grow until it, until it fills everything. It will continue to be the salt and the light until it affects everything. If we could lose our evacuation mentality and get an Occupy mentality, where we begin to realize that God gave dominion to us, that we would begin to see the gospel, I believe, extend around the world because we're preaching the gospel to get people ready to leave. And I'm preaching the gospel, getting people ready to govern and operate in the kingdom and to demonstrate the power and the miraculous of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is a very present reality. He goes on to say, uh, 
Uh, let me, he says, uh, they're already Antichrist have appeared. Uh, for we know that it is the last hour. Revelation 22, verse 6 and 7 says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Uh, Revelation 22, verse 10 and 12 said, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according uh, to what he has done. Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That quickly is not 2,000 years in the future. Hebrews 1, God hath in these last days spoken to us by the Son. Uh, Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up. He said, This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel that in the last days. Hebrews 13 talks about the parable that Jesus gave, and he said that the Son of Man went forth into the field to sow seed, and while men slept, an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. And he said, what are we going to do? He said, let them both grow together until the harvest. And then we'll send forth the angels, which are the reapers, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. And uh, he goes on to tell them the, what the parable of the sower means. He said, the the Son of Man is the one who sowed the good seed in the field. The, the, the tares or the bastard wheat are the children of the wicked one, and the enemy that sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the world, or the end literally of the age. I submit to you again, when he's talking in that context, if he's the one that sowed the good seed, the enemy sowed the tares, the harvest was the end of the age, and he would send forth his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, he would gather together the wheat into the barn, and the tares he would burn with an unquenchable fire. I submit to you that that's exactly what happened. Even in 70 AD, when there was a burning of all of the fields and all of the stuff of the children of the wicked one were dealt with. Now, I also believe that that gathering is not just in a literal sense, but that gathering was he gathered the believers into the heavenly barn and the wicked were cast into a burning fire. Uh, that is not in our future. That is in our past. Uh, that is in our past. Here's one last scripture. It says, Art thou bound to a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. But And if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. If a virgin marry, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall trouble the flesh. But I spare you. But this this I say, brethren, that the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they have none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world is passing away. Paul said that 2,000 years ago. We are out of time. That ought to be plenty of proof that Jesus had some kind of coming in 70 AD, and we are going to talk about his coming in the next segment. God bless you. Tune in again. Take a moment to call that number on the screen and sow seed into the ministry, or go to our website. You can give via credit card there. Become a partner with our ministry and help us take the gospel around the world. You can see we're saying some cutting edge things. God bless you for joining us. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.